If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to uh, the book of 2 Peter. Uh, for almost the entirety of the year, we have been in 1 Peter and now 2 Peter. We are about four weeks from finishing 2 Peter today. Uh, my intention, just so you know, uh, is to preach through the book of Jude as well. Um, so that we can kind of finish up the thought. And it's, they're kind of all companion books in particular. And uh, so that's kind of where we're headed. Uh, hopefully I'll finish that before Thanksgiving. That's my goal. Uh, I know that's lofty for some of you who have been with me for years now. Uh, and I know all of you are thinking back, well, it took you four years to get through Matthew nearly. So uh, anyway, but if you've made your way there to Second Peter, I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, please, in reverence and honor of the word of God as we read verses or chapter three, verses 11 through 18. Here's what it said. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, Seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless and account, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you as, all, uh, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some are things hard to be understood, which are they that are unlearned and unstable rest." as they do also the other scriptures under their own <clears throat> excuse me under their own destruction ye therefore beloved seeing that ye know these things beware or before beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be glory both now and forever amen let's pray father we thank you for the word that you've given to our brother peter that we could know you just a little bit better and know the ideas behind this notion that you've given us, this idea of salvation by grace through faith. Lord, that we might know how to live and to live gloriously for you and for your kingdom. Forgive us now where we fail you. Be with us now as we dive into your word and try to understand a little bit more about what you have for us. We'll give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so over the last uh, few weeks, we've been in this passage for a couple of weeks, about four weeks now. And this is part two, number B, for those of you taking notes. So that's kind of where we fell. We, we didn't quite finish part two last time. So this is, we have an idea here of, of kind of where we're going with this. And I've given you kind of five links for living and expectant hope. Uh, the title of the message, I don't know if it's up there, there it is, The Mandate of Living and Expectant Hope. And so our proposition basically is this, that we should lead exemplary lives considering the fact that the Jesus is coming. What are our five links for Christian living? Basically it's this, in light of His coming in particular, first we must have an eternal perspective. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Secondly, we must have internal peace. That's what we're going to finish up discussing today. 
Thirdly, we must strive toward practical purity, and I'm, I'm very excited about that particular uh, part of this because we don't talk a lot of practical purity much anymore, and I'm glad that the Word of God addresses it particularly. Fourthly, we must have doctrinal perceptiveness, and, and this really leads us to, as we are believers in Christ, we're, we're really looking out and, and seeing the doctrine that we need to know. That's the teachings that we need to know to be that believer. We must have that doctrinal perceptiveness. Uh, fifthly, we must have spiritual progress. And in particular, uh, we need to have continual praise of the Lord. So those are our five links, and that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. So I encourage you to get out, and uh, if you take notes diligently, find a good piece of paper because you're going to need some. We're going to cover a lot of stuff today. So let's dive right in. Let's kind of, let's kind of talk about what we were uh, dealing with last week and the last couple of weeks. In particular, let's go back and look at why we're even introducing this. So if you go back in your passage in Second Peter for just a little bit uh, and start in verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And then we hit verse 11, and it says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, verse 11 is the swing, swing verse. It's really the idea that there is a, an idea of a connectiveness to the previous passage. We know that the Lord is coming. We talked about that. And we, we directed our, our attention to it specifically for several weeks. Now we come to the other side of it and saying, now that we know, how ought we to be as people, as believers specifically in Jesus Christ? Now, this doesn't, this doesn't pertain to people who are non-believers, by the way. This only pertains to believers. So there is a bit of... of uh, onus on us to go in there and dive in and learn what this passage has for us. Now we saw a few weeks ago that first thing we need to have, right? And we saw it in, a, we talked about it, is an eternal perspective. Oh, wow, what to have an eternal, eternal perspective again. I think too much we as Christians try to live in the moment and, and, and not in light of the future. We, we tend to be reactive rather than proactive, we tend to be those people who have planned for this week maybe, but not next week. And having an eternal perspective changes that because then things start to change for you dramatically in the future. Because if you're planning further out, that's the, that's the bigger part of this. Uh, when we started having children, I started uh, praying for those children. In particular, right before uh, when we found out we were pregnant, uh, or I wasn't pregnant, she was, with, uh, with Aaron, uh, my oldest, it was, we were looking forward into the future, not just at the end of the nine months, but also uh, later in life as he grew up, his salvation, you know, leading him to the Lord, showing him Christ and everything. Then going a little step further after that, we would see him grow up, graduate high school. We homeschooled all of our kids all the way through. It's our last year, as a matter of fact, uh, with our youngest. And so, we get there, and then there's marriage on the other side of that. We're praying for his wife, and, and we're praying for grandkids, and they're starting to come. Praise the Lord. I, uh, I got a beautiful granddaughter who spent the last two days with me. Uh, she is wild as the day is long. 
Bless her heart. I haven't had sleep and I don't know when. So this, this sermon may not make any sense by the time I get done with it. But here's what we've been, we've been praying for the future. I've been praying for my future. And if the Lord tarries and doesn't come back and rapture his church out soon, I'm still praying into the future for up to the ninth and tenth generation of my family. Because I asked the Lord several years ago to stop the sin cycle in my family's life because my whole family was ate up with sin in every way possible. I had, I had alcoholism in my family. I had divorce. I had all kinds of uh, fornication and all kinds of things going on in, in my whole family's life. And I asked that the Lord would, when he saved me, that, that we would come forward and, and, and it stop with my, my family. And that my family would be, would be blessing the Lord for the next ten generations. Now, I may be crazy in that, but I'm going to tell you I'd rather pray that way than the other, right? So we look forward. We're, we're having an eternal perspective. Secondly, and that's what we're going to deal with today, is not just an eternal perspective, but inner peace. Now, the, the reason why inner peace is here, by the way, and, and let me just read that verse to you so you see it. Uh, we were right there. Let me get there. There we go. This is verse 13. It says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. You see, well, last week we talked about the promise of God and what that actually means. It's, it's the salvation experience that every believer has. When we come to Christ, there is a promise that is being uh, given to us for the future. I look forward to the day when I see Jesus face to face. I'll be honest with you, I'm nervous because, because I, don't want, I don't want to disappoint him while I'm here. At the same time, I'm so anxious to see him because of everything that's gone on here. I have seen God work in my family's life, in my life. And so I'm looking forward to the day when I can go and look him face to face. Because he's the savior of my soul. I'm going to take a bit different turn as we go from the promise to the new heavens and the new earth. And I want you to understand that it, it's, it bleeds from the same vein. Okay? I'm looking forward to the promises. Not just that, that salvation that's there, but also the promise of the future and what that looks like. I'm so excited about heaven. I, I got, to, got to dig in a little bit this week, a little bit about it. And I, I got to tell you, you know, we, we read about it, but we really don't know a whole lot. We just know the pieces that God's given us on it. And we're going to take a look at all, most of those passages today. And probably, probably won't get to all of them, but we're going to get to a, a good bunch of them. So grab your place here, and this is verse 13. And we started last week with the promise, and this week we're going to start with the new heavens and the new earth. We're looking forward to something else, to something beyond this life. 2020 has caused us a lot of angst. I mean, we've got everything from uh, COVID-19 uh, to looting and, and killing in the streets of, of most of big cities in America. We've got murder hornets. I mean, we've got nearly everything you could possibly imagine. And, and then my church is going, yeah, we had the awning knocked down, the church put into. We had water leaks. We've got a little bit of everything this year. I'm waiting for 2021 just so we can have a redo. It's been difficult. And, and, and I, can I just tell you something? We are not without precedent on any of this. It's happened before. 
and it will happen continuously. The issue is we've lived very long time in, a, in mostly peace. And for us, inner peace is not situational. And that's the, that's the thing I've got to debunk for you. Your inner peace with God in particular is salvation on the front side, promise. On the back side, it's heaven to come. And so we're looking for the blessed hope, right? We're looking for that, that glorified body that's coming, but we're looking for heaven too. I love talking about heaven. Uh, years ago, I heard Adrian Rogers uh, uh, speak, and, and he, said, he said, you're going to hear one day that Adrian Rogers is dead and buried. He said, don't believe it for a second. I'll be more alive in that moment than I've ever been in my life. And I'll be, I'll be kicking up gold dust on the streets of gold in heaven. Now, whether or not he's going to be doing that or not, I don't think we're going to leave that kind of mark where we're kicking up any dust, to be honest. But here's what I do know. I do know that believers in Jesus Christ have salvation, and then they have heaven to look forward to. So let's take a look at some things today, and we'll start right here. And, and it starts with heaven. We're looking to new things. There's, a, there's an old uh, story I want to tell you real quick about a uh, swan and a crane. It's an old story. It's uh, a, couple, a couple hundred years old, I believe. Uh, maybe a little older than that. I couldn't actually find the beginning date on it. But it, it basically looks like this. Uh, there was a, a beautiful swan head alighted onto uh, the bank of this, uh, this river, or this big bank of water, and uh, there was a crane. And the crane was going around the bank, and he was picking up snails and eating them. That's what cranes do. They go around and eat snails and things like that. And for a few moments, the crane viewed the swan, looking at him kind of, kind of looking at him kind of strange, and then inquired, where do you come from? I come from heaven, replied the swan. And where is heaven, asked the crane. Heaven, said the crane, or said the swan. Heaven, you, you've never heard of heaven? And the beautiful bird went on to describe the grandeur of the eternal city. She told about the streets of gold and the gates and walls made of precious stones of the river of life, pure as crystal, upon whose banks is the tree whose leaves shall, never, uh, shall be for the healing of nations. In eloquent terms, the swan sought to describe the hosts who live in the other world, but without arousing the slightest interest on the part of the crane. Finally, the crane asked, Are there any snails there? Snails, repeated the swan. No, of course they're naughty snails. Then said the crane, as he continued to search along the slimy banks of the pool, you can have your heaven. I want snails. Now why do I read it? Because there's a deeper piece to that. That particular story talks about where we are as people. We have a tendency to search for snails, the snails of sin in this life. We seek those things out. And when Moody told this story to his congregation, he added this. Just listen to him. He says, How many a young person to whom God has granted the advantages of a Christian home has turned his back upon it and searched for the snails? How many a man will sacrifice his wife, his family, and all, his all for the snails of sin? How many a girl has deliberately turned from the love of parents and home to learn too late that, the, that heaven has been forfeited for snails? You see, we, we look too small when we look to heaven. We don't get out like it is something to be attained to 
we seek it out only in, in little bitty pieces. What can I gain from it? What can I do to get there? Those kinds of questions are asking. And we're not asking the bigger ones. The bigger ones like, what will heaven be like? It's going to be my eternal home forever. And we don't look. We're caught. And, and I use a term here, and, and it's called the daily grind. The daily grind is us hunting down snails all the time. The daily grind is everyday life grinding us up and spitting us out. And we get caught in the daily grind and we forget to look up to where we're going. I'll put it like this. I've got a, a quick other story here. This is from an anonymous writer American, about an American tourist who visited uh, the 19th century Polish rabbi, Hafez Shame. He's astonished to see the rabbi's home was only a simple room filled with books, plus a table and a bench. The tourist asked, where is your furniture? And he, and he looks back at the, at the inquisitive reporter and he says, where's yours? He goes, mine? I, I'm a visitor here. I'm only passing through. And he replies, so am I. We need to have an attitude of, I'm just passing through this life. As believers in Jesus Christ, this is not our home. We are here temporarily until the Lord takes us out or we die and go to heaven anyway. Either way. And as the old song used to say, I'm a winner either way. Because we are. We've got heaven to look forward to. But let's talk about that. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. I'll wait on you. Go ahead. We've got a minute. Turn with me to Revelation 21 verse 1. Easy to find. Go to the back of the book, back up a chapter. Here's what it says. Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them. And they shall be His people. And God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Now let me just pause before I... I'm, I'm going to read some more of that. But I need, you to, I need you to grab a hold of a couple of things here. Let's go back to verse 1. A new heaven and a new earth. Something's changing. This world is beautiful. I, uh, I was up in uh, Branson yesterday with my granddaughter. Uh, we were, went to the water park and kind of just hung out in Branson with her all day. And as we were driving back, I'm driving down uh, 65 south, and I just look over, and it, we just had a storm come through. And I looked over to my left, and, and the sun was back out, and it was shining on the trees. And, and I have different kind of vision than my wife. I can't see anything right here. She can see everything here, but can't see far off. And I can see everything afar off, so it's kind of weird. And I looked over and I said, I said, look at the shimmer on the trees. I said, look how green and lush. Look at the beautiful valleys and the mountains. And, and I was just I, so in awe. I, I love to drive. My family will tell you that, that I love going. They love getting there. Okay. I will drive a thousand miles on my 
way to get anywhere just so I can enjoy the journey. As I looked onto that, I, I'm reminded here of this. Think about what's happening here. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. We don't really realize it, but this world is marred. And as beautiful as it is, I, I've, I've never been to Yosemite. I've never been to Yellowstone. I've never seen some of the mountains out there. I went to Pikes Peak and I looked out and I could see other states from the top of Pikes Peak. But I, I'm going to tell you, and it was beautiful. But this world, this world is temporary. And we've already discussed it, but Jesus is coming back and everything's going to melt. Everything's going to be done away with. And the new heaven and the new earth is coming. Listen to the description John says in verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 30 miles from here, just to the south of here, I was married in a little Baptist church out in uh, the middle of Farmington, Arkansas. And I met my wife there. I actually was introduced to the Lord there. And, and I'll never forget the wedding day. I got there a little later than my wife would have liked, my bride-to-be would have liked. She was a little nervous that I was going to be a no-show. But here's the thing. I showed up there about 45 minutes before it was started. I didn't figure I needed to be there much earlier than that. She'd been there since like 4 o'clock that morning. And, um, and so I, I roll up there, and I'll never forget. I'll, I'll, I'll always picture it that the doors were opened in the back. My wife stepped in, or my, my fiancé at the time, stepped into the doorway wearing her wedding dress. She'd spent hours preparing. Yeah, I had my hair combed. That was about it. I think I had deodorant on. So we're all good. And I look back there, and I will never forget... I could see her face beaming from under the veil. <laughs> I didn't know whether to laugh or cry or to pass out. She was so beautiful. And I, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't know what John saw. He describes her as a bride adorned for her husband. I, I only have, I, she's my first wife. She's my only wife. So I only got one experience with this. I mean, I, I've seen all the movies and I've, I've seen other people's... I, I've even officiated a couple of weddings. But I'm going to tell you there is something special when a, when a husband looks back and he... They told me not to turn, but I think I did. And, and I, I looked at her. She was adorned for me. She was my wife. She was beautiful. She is beautiful. Heaven is coming down, and John's only description is, as a bride adorned for his wife, here's the new Jerusalem. Now, Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. Okay? We got the new Jerusalem coming down. And you can talk about how big the city is. I've heard descriptions, 2,500 feet squared, and, or 2,500 miles squared, and all of that. And, and we can go into that later. But pay attention to verse 3 of our passage. Here's what it says. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. What a description. 
the tabernacle of God is with men. Do you know the last time that God walked with man other than Jesus? Oh, that was Jesus, but, but I mean, the last time a description like this happened, that was with Adam in the garden. There's, a pre- there's something precious about being able to walk with God in, in a very physical sense. Now, I believe, and personally, and we can talk about that if you'd like, that it was Jesus in the garden. And here's the, here's the thing. This new heaven, this new earth, shines like a bride adorned for her husband. And it is the tabernacle of God, and it's with men. And God is dwelling with us. I, what do you do with that? What do you do with, with God walking with man in this way? I don't know. I, I don't know what you'll do. Will you fall on your face and worship? Probably. And, and when the Lord Jesus picks you up off the, the floor, streets of gold or, or whatever, what will you do? Because for eternity, you're going to be with God. <laughs> Everybody says, ah, well, uh, you know, I, I don't know. What, what, what will we do there? Some have said, well, maybe it's a, uh, we're just going to sit around and float around on clouds. No, we're going to be busy. We got things to do while we're there. I got a bazillion questions, and I'm not even there yet to ask them. And then I'm still going to have more. I'll never be tired of seeing my Savior's face. You realize what, what Jesus has done in salvation? You see, in salvation, I have been taken out of the pathway of hell, eternal hell, not just separation from God, but a physical place of torment and torture because of my transgressions against God Almighty, who I have no right to be in His heaven at all. And He has show up there, and He's there to welcome me, and He's with me. God is with us. And they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them, be their God. And then the description starts. Wait for it. Listen. And God shall wipe away all their tears, all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. I don't know how much crying you do. I do more as I get older. I discovered I'm just a weeping willow all the time. I'm not one to cry in the pulpit. I need you to understand that. But I get overwhelmed by this. Because I want and desire great things for my family. But I'm going to tell you that this world offers me very, very little with regard to that. Don't get me wrong. I love looking into the face of my family on Sunday nights when my whole family's gathered up. Yeah, they drive me crazy and insane and I'm pulling what's left of my hair out. But I'm going to tell you, I love that moment, but I'm going to tell you, I'll love it even more when I can look around and still see them with me. A 
prayed hard for my kids to know Jesus. And if they don't get there, it's on them, not me. Everybody has to come to Jesus by themselves. I can't do it for you. I can preach the word to you. I can give you the hows of it. I can tell you that if you don't repent of your sins and, and come humbly before the throne of God and asking Him and begging Him to save you, you, you can't be saved. But I can't save you. This church can't save you. All we can do is tell you about salvation. Heaven is a real place. Let me break it down for you. The next few verses are what Jesus says. Remember, in context here with the new heaven and the new earth. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, John, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst, fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, shall be my son. And then the part that breaks your heart. Everybody says, I, I was talking to a work, and, I, and, and she said, I'm just so tired of of people cramming their religion down my throat. I looked at her and I said, me too. She was, she was all confused. She had that deer in the headlights thing going. I said, I said Christianity's not about a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus, the God of the universe. Read what that said just there. And I will be... His God, Jesus said, and He shall be my Son. And you get to this last, last verse, verse 8. We don't preach and teach and, and try to push people into a religion. And if we do that, we're wrong. Here's the thing. We tell people about what is to come. And verse 8 is what is to come. Let me read it for you. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, the, the warning is there. The, the, the idea of heaven is there for us, right, as believers, but the other side of that is wrath for the unbelievers. And the problem we have is, is we're worried about what people think of us because we mentioned Jesus. We're worried about what people think of us because I towed a Bible around. I'm not going to tell you this to be braggadocious or anything like this, but on, on my little cube, I have a cube just like everybody else at work. We're all in these little cubes, my little cage at work. And I've got lights on it, okay? You guys can't see it, but I have lights around the, the pulpit here to help me see I got lights around my, my cube. I can change them to green, purple. I can make them dance. I can do all kinds of things with it. And somebody asked me one time, why do I, why do I put up all that? Well, one, so I can find my cube because it looks like everybody else's. But two, is so that people will be drawn to it because on the front of mine, I got tracks laying across the front of the cube because 
I had that conversation with that lady the other day who's just been sitting in that chair less than a week. And I got the opportunity to talk to her about my Savior. Guys, we got to take every opportunity we can because verse 8's real. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, by the way, just to clue you in, every single person in this room has told a lie at least once in their life they have. And if you're not, you're lying about it. Okay? Help you out. So how do we overcome it? Ah, that's overcome by the blood of the Lamb. You see, He paid the price for you so that you might have life eternal. More than that, He paid it so that you wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God. He experienced it for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. He experienced the wrath of God on your behalf to pay the price because otherwise you have to pay it for eternity. He paid, an eternal God paid for, for those six hours on the cross, eternity for you. Isaiah, by the way, talks about heaven too. Here's what it says. This is Isaiah 65, verse 17. It says, For behold, I created new heavens and a new earth. Right? The former shall not be remembered. That's Old Testament. Nor come into mind. Verse 18 says, But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. We know so very little about heaven. James Packer says in his book, he said he once heard a theologian describe it as an unknown region with a well-known inhabitant. And there's not a better way to think of it than that. Richard Baxter, the preacher from the 1700s, he wrote this. He says, my knowledge of that life referring to heaven is small. The eye of faith is dim, but it's enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be with Him. That again. My knowledge of that life is small. The eye of faith is dim, but it's enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be with Him. What a great Learn to love and trust Jesus, the prospect of meeting Him face to face and being with Him forever is the hope that keeps us all going, no matter what life may throw at us. It is the hope, Jesus coming, right? Now, lastly, and I'll give you this and close up. Not just are we seeking a new heaven and a new earth. We're also seeking currently His righteousness. Now, let me, let me bring that up for you. Turn with me to Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33. Y'all probably knew I was going to go there, so we might as well. By the way, in our verse, and let me just get it for you here, uh, just down there right, right as we get there. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. But it's not our righteousness that we're looking for. It's His righteousness. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. By the way, the only ones that are going to seek God are the ones God has called. Are you listening for the call? Are you listening for the call? Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take no thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. When you look at that passage of Scripture and you see that we're seeking after a kingdom that's not ours, we're seeking after His righteousness and His alone. Matthew 5, 1-6, and this will be the last passage I ask you to turn to. 
Matthew 5, 1 through 6 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is going through and he's describing what's happening. And here's what he says. And when he opened his mouth in verse 2 and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, all four of those Beatitudes come with other things on the other side, the end of those things. They are specifically written so that you understand the process of salvation. They're more, the poor in spirit realize they, they don't have anything to offer God. And on the other side of it, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They mourn because they can't go to God. Verse, three, or verse 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they, they, they shall be comforted. They're mourning over their sins. Blessed are they, uh, are they are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's the one who comes before God, knowing his place, and becomes humbled. And finally, that last part, verse 6 Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It's only the believer who's come to a place of repentance who can be filled with righteousness. We need to be seeking righteousness. Paul reminds us that. He says this, that you put off concerning the former conversations from Ephesians chapter 4, the old man which is corrupt and deceitful us, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you may put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Let me ask you, if you're looking for peace, the first step is salvation so you can have peace with God. The second step, the second side of that, is a peace that's everlasting. We're not talking about happiness. We're talking about inner peace from God to help you overcome this world. Let's stand. Lord, help us today. Help us as we begin to look into things, looking for that peace that only you can provide. Forgive us of our sins. Help us, Lord. Lord, if there's someone here who needs, needs to know you, who hasn't repented of his sins or her sins and, and come before you in humble repentance, Lord, we pray that you'll bend their knee, that you'll call them out, and that, Lord, you'd save them gloriously. Salvation's not of us. It's of you only, Lord. We give you all the praise for that. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.